1: Podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460, KXNO. Back with you, Miller.
2: Katon 1460 KXNO and now 106.3 FM. Trey Katon running solo here this morning with you as we'll take you up until noon. We got Murph and Andy coming your way at two o'clock today, followed by the Sports Fanatics at four o'clock. Let's get back out to the phone lines. John Bonicamp joining us from Sports Illustrated, part of the Maven, as he joins us here today. John, as I was telling you right before we came on the air, you basically you got a cot set up in Carver because you're there seemingly every single day. <laughs> it's
1: That's what it seems like, but, you know, everybody's winning. You know, you got the women's team at the top of the Big Ten, wrestling, number one in the nation. Iowa men, game out of first place in the Big Ten. It's a lot of fun right now.
2: It certainly is, and uh, let's go backwards and start with what we saw most recently, and that was Iowa men. As they pick up a victory against Wisconsin, it was a game where, for long stretches, Iowa didn't play well. They didn't shoot it well. I brought up the number. Everyone's talking about the 3 of 20 from 3, and that's an impact, no doubt. But they were 10 of 19 in layups. It was tough inside. Reavers was throwing a lot against Garza. You could tell Luka just never could quite get it going. Still finishes with 21 and 18 with all that being said. But th- this was a game, one of many this year, that passed Iowa teams under Fran McCaffrey. They wouldn't have come back down 12. They wouldn't have come back and got that victory. Teams in the past would have folded, and it's another step of this process of this team. They just seem different.
1: They There is a toughness to this team, and and, and I know it's been written about a lot, and and, and kind of a cliche sometimes, but they really, there's a toughness there that, that I, I can't really explain, and and, and I think it, it can kind of be heard. At, somebody retweeted this clip last night at the end of the game. And it, it, the game's over, and it was on the Big Ten Network, and you could barely hear it. And I, I believe it was C.J. Frederick yelled something towards Wisconsin, like, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Get out of our gym. And um, that, to me, is a sign of this team is, this, this team is really tough. I mean, this team is, is, doesn't like people. You know, I mean, it's fighting back. You know, that old that old theory, you know, you can only be so tough unless you actually hit somebody. You know, they're hitting back now with a lot of these teams figuratively. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're getting down in games and they're coming back and winning. And, you know, no, no lead really seems safe against them. And, and and they believe right now. And when you have a confidence in, in, in the game of college basketball, when you have confidence to do that, you're a difficult out, and especially when you're as talented as they are.
2: There's no doubt. Uh, this team it has so many different components to it. Luca Garza playing at such a high level, and even though he didn't shoot it real well and struggled at times inside, he still puts up the numbers. The team as a whole doesn't shoot it well from the outside, but when they needed a big shot, C.J. Frederick was there. And I want to talk about this freshman backcourt because C.J. Frederick on one side, Joe Toussaint on the other, these are not guys that are going to be early entry NBA type of players. That's not who they are. They're just good solid college players but both of these guys we have seen flashes and I think more flashes this year out of Frederick but just how good these guys can be and they're going to be around for the next 3 plus years
1: well again again it's i mean these are these are guys that have paid, played played high school basketball at not just a high level but in places where you had to be tough you know you look at Joe Toussaint grew up in New York City so you're playing you know, high school ball, and you're playing playground ball against, you know, really tough guys that their goal is to try to get you to back down. Um, C.J. Frederick, you know, played high school basketball in Kentucky, where, you know, you're playing in Rupp Arena in the state tournament. You're, you know, you're playing in big atmospheres. So, I mean, these guys really are just not scared of it. And, you know, again, and, and I think we've talked about this before, but with Joe Toussaint, he can struggle early in the game. And and Fran McCaffrey will sit him down mm-hmm. and in the second half he will play like he's been playing like that the whole game. You know, you look at the way he played last night and just attacking the bat I mean he yeah, you know, one of the, I asked him after the game, you know, did you think this team needed a spark? And he Yeah. You know, and so he was the one that provided it, which is you get a rebound and just drive it up court and dare them to challenge you you know, and so like I said, these, these guys have played in big time atmospheres before in, in tough atmospheres and have won. And to them, this is no big deal. This isn't, you know, oh my God, this is the big 10. Oh my God, this is Michigan. Oh my God. this You know, they, they're just like, you know, we're going to win this game. And, and I think, you know, like you said, this is a backcourt that's going to be around for a while and you're going to be adding some other pieces next year. And, and, and I mean, it it's, you 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 think about how good they are now. And think about what they're going to be like next year.
2: So take me inside uh, the media area up there at Carver, up in the corner, as you guys are trying to figure out what was happening late in the game. Brad Davidson coming around to the screen. There wasn't a clear picture of it at least initially on television. What was happening, but. Me, personally, on my couch, I knew what was happening because we've seen this before from Brad Davison. We've seen this before from Wisconsin. It wasn't about hooking, going around a screen. There was more to it than that. What were you guys all trying to figure out sitting up there and talking together?
1: Well, what was funny was you know, you're sitting there, and, and, and where it happened, it's right in front of the Iowa bench. The Iowa players are up, mm-hmm. you know, and then you've got fans standing up because this was a key part of the game. I mean, they're up one with the ball. And everybody's watching Wees Camp Drive to the basket for the layup and you don't realize that that something happened right there in front of the bench. And so Wisconsin gets the ball, they bring it down, call a timeout, which, you know, probably wasn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. They probably could have kept playing through it, you know, and, and no one would have known what had happened there and, and somehow or another one of the officials saw something and went over and saw it on the video review, and, and like I said, it, it, you know, it's, the, the videos I've seen have been kind of, you know, like grainy, I guess, probably, but you can just see, <laughs> he hooked his leg, and he hooked his leg in a bad spot, and so, um, you know, I mean, this is a guy that has a reputation to this, and I he got caught. I mean, that was the thing, he did A, he did it right in front of the Iowa bench, B, he did it right in front of an official, so there's not A lot of brains there when it comes to making those kind of
2: plays. Yeah, got caught and uh, got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Technical following from there. Uh, For all intents and purposes, the game was over as Iowa gets the win. 68-62. John Bodecamp joining us from SI as we're talking Hawkeyes with him. It's five in a row coming on the heels of that loss on the road to Nebraska. Another game that they didn't shoot it very well. But now uh, people, I think some Hawkeye fans are starting to dream. It's going to be much more difficult here are the remaining 11 games. A lot of them on road. I think right. 10 of these 11 are going to be what are considered quad one games. I mean, it's it's a difficult schedule, and we could talk about the free and fade that we've seen in the past and those types of things. It's a short bench, but it does feel different, and the Big Ten is such a slog here. You get to 14-6, and six, maybe that's good enough to get you a share of the title.
1: I was thinking that last night. I was kind of doing the math on the drive home at one in the morning, and um, and and you start thinking that, that, I mean, you know, okay, the teams leading the league have two losses. Um, you know, Iowa's behind them with three. Um, you know, you just kind of figure out the way that, that, I mean, if you can get to the end of the season with five losses, you're probably going to be in the top two or three. You know, if you can get there with six, you know, you might you might actually be able to win it because you just don't know what's going to happen in this league. And somebody asked me the other day, you know, we, we talk about the, the the fade, the February fade, mm-hmm. and I said, there's a very real possibility something will happen that looks like a February fade, but actually, it's just you're playing so many good teams that you might play a really good game some night and lose because somebody's just a little bit better in this league. And it's that's just the way it's going to be right now, and it's like so. That's why you have to have a toughness right now. That's why you have to have the swagger that Iowa has right now. And you know, I started thinking last night when they're down twelve. It's like okay, if they lose this game, you know, now you got Maryland on the road, you got Illinois at home. Um, you know, a lot of things could happen. You could go zero and three this week if you don't win this game. And then all of a sudden they win this game. And now I start thinking, well, they could go three and zero this week, you know, and. So, so I mean that's just the way this league is. It's the way it, it, it's going to be all year. And you know, I I, I think you know the the, the ones that, that are going to survive are the ones that can win the way Iowa did last night, and the way they have here in some of these games where they've had to come back late and get a, and play well down the stretch and
2: win. And here's what Michigan State. And I think even with Illinois tied at the top of the standings, most people believe that Michigan State, the cream's going to rise to the top. They still have to go on the road. To Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Maryland, and Penn State. I mean, that that's a pile of losses. Even if you expect them to go undefeated the rest of the way at the Breslin Center, there's a lot of difficult road matchups there, and I don't think it's a stretch. John, we're talking about something here that hasn't happened for Iowa basketball since 1979.
1: Here's the deal. I mean, you're, you're a game out as you reach the halfway point, of the Big Ten season, and, and I don't think you can ask for anything better now. No. You know, I mean, that, you, I mean, you know, January is about getting getting into position to get into position, basically. <laughs> and and that's where they're at right now. I mean, you're, you're in a spot right now where you're a contender after nine games. You're a contender. Um, you know, and, and even if, if something happens on Thursday night and you don't win, you're still a contender because you, you've still got, you know. But looking at their schedule, somebody put up today is the top five teams and the winning percentage of the teams they have remaining. Iowa has the toughest schedule of all of them in terms of winning Wow, so um, it's going to be a little bit interesting. But again, I think this team can handle it. I think this team it just has the, the mental toughness right now to handle this. And, and I think, and I think, and I think, Brand McCaffrey knows that. I think he knows this. And, you know, again, there's a small margin error. Somebody gets hurt, then, then all bets are off. But right now, what they're doing is very impressive.
2: I what eight and two now without Jordan Bohannon. They were seven and three with him. An interesting note Mm -hmm. as uh, we make our way through the season. Sunday, you were in Carver again uh, before the game yesterday against Wisconsin. You were there for the Iowa women, picking up another victory against Michigan State. With it, the retirement ceremony for Megan Gustafson. I brought my four-year-old daughter who's starting basketball in a couple weeks there. She thought it was awesome. She wants to be like Megan. She wants to get a headband uh, like her (laughs) when she was watching the highlight video that they had up there. But a really cool environment there in Carver. Something we don't see a ton on the women's side of things.
1: No, and and I think that that goes to that shows her impact that she had on the fan base and the state. You know, I, I I think back to last you know last March or last April when she's at the you know in Des Moines at the Capitol, and I and I remember seeing those photos of them. They're just they're just coming out of the Capitol and some class that's coming in to tour. They all recognize who she is and they <laughs> run over to see her. How many athletes in the state have had that kind of impact? and you know and on top of that she's just a really good person mm-hmm. you know i mean she is very accessible as what you know and i wrote about this you know on in on sunday you know she had a couple of ushers that were like escorting her to make sure you know nobody could bother her for autographs and she didn't care she was gonna sign autographs she was gonna take pictures she was gonna high five little kids who came running over she's taking a picture with somebody that she knew that's that's a star in my mind. That's somebody that I, I I just, her impact on the court, I don't think those records ever get broken at Iowa. Um, off the court, I, I just don't see anyone that has ever had that kind of impact on just not just a fan base but an entire state the way she did.
2: This Iowa women's team continues to find ways to win. They've ripped off eight straight victories. Now, this is a team at the beginning of the year after losing Megan to graduation they got clubbed by 22 up in Cedar Falls against and I. They have come back. They played incredibly well. They're fifth in the country right now in RPI, and that's the yep. metric still used on the women's side of things here. Talking about regular season titles, we could be talking about the same thing here on the women's side.
1: Yep, and I mean, again, their schedule's a little difficult. There, Of their last nine games, five of them are on the road. Um, four of them are against teams with winning records, and I any mean, with good winning records. It's not just you know so i mean they, the the challenge is out there for them but again they're a lot like the men's team they you know the other night against michigan state they were flat for three quarters and, and you thought okay this is you know this is how they're going to honor megan Gustafson today with you know and they're going to lose the game and and all of a sudden they just shut down the spartans in the second half and and they're in the second, fourth quarter and 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 they had a freshman do it you know and so I, they're just Again, there, there's a lot of toughness there. Kathleen Doyle, I think, really leads that. I mean, this yeah. is this is. A, I mean, she was a, she was a big part of that team last year that, that kind of got lost in the shuffle with everything else going on. But she just is so good, and she's not not a hundred percent. I don't think. I think she's got some right knee. I think the right knee's kind of bothering her a little bit. But she still makes plays and and wills them to win. And you know, I'm trying to figure out who has the best mean mug. <laughs> Among the basketball teams, either Ryan Crean or her. You know. Um, but I mean there there is she's very she's very expressive in her emotions and I think I think the team just feeds off that.
2: Finally for you, Friday night you'll be back in Carver as the wrestling team welcomes in Penn State. It has been certainly a decade of domination out of the Nittany Lion wrestling program, but feels like it is turning certainly this season on the on the mat out there as Iowa. Boy, they just continue to punish people.
1: Yeah, they just, I mean, they, they, I mean, even the other night against Ohio State, uh, you know, that, that was a good Ohio State team. They were wrestling and they, and they, and they really wrestled well against them. Uh, you know, and the way it starts, you've got Spencer Lee, who who's the best at 125. You know, you've got Austin DeSanto, who just the other night was just, I mean, it was takedown, let the guy go, take him down again, let him go. I mean, it was just, I was like a cat playing with a toy. And you know, and, and and it was you talk about a step from week to week. The week before he had didn't really have a really good match against guys from Nebraska. Comes back and just dominates. And I think he's the key to Friday night. If he can get his win on Friday night, I, I think they they win this duel and maybe even win it easily. But you know, I mean, it's going to have to start early with some of these guys, and and, and they're going to have to wrestle well. And you know, Tom Brands is really pushing them, and and I mean, he's he's Tom Brands. And um, you know, you you listen to him talk and all that. And I mean this is this is a guy that you feel is on a mission and he wants his team to be on that mission too.
2: John Bonacamp with Sports Illustrated, part of the Maven. John, great catching up with you. The wise owl there again. And uh we'll make a call over there to Whites and see if he can just get you a cotton
1: carver, all right? I may just find a place a room in there to sleep in that nobody knows about, you know.
2: Find one of those training yeah. tables, just put your feet yeah. up, you'll be
1: good to go. Yep, exactly. Be good, John.
2: We'll talk again soon. All right, see ya. John Bonencamp joining us. SI, find him on Twitter, at John bonencamp When we come back, on the other side of the timeout, we're going to be talking with ESPN Zubin Mahente. He was part of ESPN's coverage after the news was coming out of the passing of Kobe Bryant. Certainly a diff- difficult circumstance. We'll get the perception from the guy that was there and running things, Zubin Mahente. That's next here as we continue on 1460 KXNO and now on 106.3 FM. But before that, It's time to pay your bills. With 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM, text the keyword BALL to 200-200 right now. That's your chance to win $1,000. Text BALL to 200-200 right now for your chance to win.
1: You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest.
2: ESPN Zuba Mahete. next. We continue Miller and Condon. affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. continues 1460 KXNO. Ken Miller back tomorrow after his work trip out to Las Vegas. We got me, Trent and Joining me here on the BMW of Des Moines guest list, he is Zubin Mahente from ESPN. Zubin, it has been certainly just a, a wild couple of days. The tragedy of Kobe Bryant over the weekend on Sunday. And for you, a uh, a big impact, not just because of, of your love of the NBA and of basketball and of Kobe Bryant and, and being certainly the same age range as you, but what you had to do for your job at work as you were anchoring things. Thanks for joining us today. Sure, no
0: problem. I think we tried to basically do equal parts information and equal parts empathy. I think there was a lot of misinformation or disinformation, however you call it out there about that, and we tried to take a measured approach. We had... Very interesting guests: Spike Lee, because Kobe was so much more than a basketball player, Jerry Colangelo, Gary Payton, Michael Wilbon, all of our NBA people. And I just think it was one of those things where uh, we wanted to take it slow. We wanted to take it steady. I know in today's media culture, in today's environment, that's not how it works. I do also know that when TMZ reports something, more often than not, it is true Uh, The reputation might be a little bit different. Um, They have been wrong before, but at the same token, when they do put something out, you have to do your due diligence. Uh, We did it, and I thought we tried to present a terrible, horrific incident uh, the best way that we could. But I think the biggest thing is in 2020, I think you could have some empathy. I think, you know, Trent, we're about the same age. and When you're an old-school journalist, they tell you to play it down the line and Mm -hmm. be impartial, just the facts, please. And there is an important aspect of that. But I do think with this particular story, considering the way that it hit, not just locally, nationally, but internationally, I think it's very fair to say um, that you can give the information, whether it's about the NTSB, whether it's about his career, although most people are well acquainted with his career. But I think you can do it with a dose of empathy, and I think that's okay to do.
2: Zubin, uh, you've been put in this spot a couple of different times, and I was very happy to see you're not on social media at least you don't have a twitter account you might be out there and, nope. and no burner account Trent. No the, burner okay account. all right we're you're not talking about kevin duran or anything like that no burner account <laughs> but to see many people in the national spotlight singing your praises and how you've handled it this is the first time you've been in a spot like this with a big news story this one was certainly different with kobe bryant and his daughter and the passing and the nine people and the helicopter crash but it's got to be incredibly difficult to to get through that and and it's got to be taxing on you just, just mentally, along with physically, going through something this, men- this immense with that much pressure.
0: Well, I think that because of the nature of who we're talking about, I knew we were going to be on all day and all night long because Kobe deserves that. I mean, he is. If you're 8 or 80 or anywhere in between and watching us on ABC, ESPN or ESPN2, you're well aware of who Kobe Bryant is. If you think about some of the great sportsmen that we've lost in horrific fashion because of the passage of time, the younger generation may not be aware of Roberto Clemente who died on a humanitarian trip or Thurman Munston of the Yankees catcher who died in a plane crash, or even Dale Earnhardt senior who died at the Daytona 500. And I think for a lot of fans, that's just a little bit out of reach because you're not in the age range or generation to have that really affect you. But because Kobe Bryant had just retired essentially, three to four years ago, and he is eligible to be inducted into the basketball hall of fame. <clears throat> excuse me. And I think he will be this year. Um, and that makes it all the more poignant. That's the one thing we should have discussed a little bit more on Sunday. The idea that he's obviously going right to Springfield and he's going to have to be inducted posthumously. And it's just such a tragedy. Um, but I do think you look at it and you say to yourself in those types of situations, everybody knows everything about Kobe at this point, And, I think what was interesting is many of our guests that we had on, uh, you know, I was talking to Gary Payton, for example, uh, maybe one of the best two-way players of his era. And when we were talking about Kobe, there really wasn't a lot to talk about from a basketball perspective. So many of these guys wanted to weigh in and say something about the person he was after he retired. You know, he's won an Academy Award. He's done so many different things. And, but if you wanted a quick basketball story, Trent, I'll give you one. We had Jim Daheim on who is a Basketball Hall of Famer, and Kobe, of course, will soon be one as well. He was an assistant on Team USA. And do you remember the old Maryland player Gravis Vasquez? Do you remember that? Yes,
2: absolutely, yeah.
0: So the USA squad was you know, playing this team uh, made up of other guys, like with the skill level of a Gravis Vasquez, who, who played in the NBA for a long time, so I'm not taking anything away from his game. But, you know, obviously you've got the dream team, the latest iteration led by... Kobe Bryant, and they're taking on these sort of youngsters that are kind of looking for an opportunity. And Beheim said he was just an assistant standing there, and then Team USA with Kobe was up by 45 points. And he's guarded Gravis Vasquez on an inbounds pass, picking him up full, of 45 points. Steals it, scores. Gravis inbounds again, Kobe steals it, scores. And Beheim went over to him and said, like, hey, what's the, <laughs> what's going on here? You know? And he's just like, nothing's going on here. And this is how... We do it. And so if you wanted sort of a Mamba mentality basketball analogy, I thought that one from Bayheim was really good. But there were so many people that wanted to talk to us about his daughter, wanted to talk to him about staying connected to basketball through his daughter, the Academy Award, what he was up to. So I think everybody knows the basketball exploits. I just wanted to give you one example there. Uh, But there was so much more to this guy that maybe people discovered on Sunday.
2: You know, and that was the heartbreaking part of this for me. It was, I was never a Kobe fan. I was a Jordan fan, and I've become a LeBron fan, and he was the guy in between, the guy trying to emulate Jordan. And for whatever reason, as a basketball player, it just never clicked for me. But seeing what he's done away from the hardwood and the way that, you know, he has changed his life and become such an interesting and a, an incredible person and a father and those types of things and what he has done with this academy, what he has done as he talked about, an Academy Award, and on and on and on. And, and being taken away, seeing what the next 40 years were going to be for Kobe Bryant because it felt like there was going to be, there's a lot of layers already to him as a person, and there was going to be so much more to come.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I, think I said on the air Sunday, there, I don't think there is anybody in the NBA except for Kobe Bryant that has been inextricably linked to Michael Jordan and LeBron James. You know, I don't think anybody fits that mold other than Kobe Bryant. You know, when you're talking about being connected to LeBron and Michael, you can be connected to some other players. There's some fantastic players out there. But so we're talking about modern-era greatness for most of the people that are listening to your radio show. And for Kobe to be involved in that group from a basketball perspective says one thing. But I would also say that for a lot of people, this is an international story. You know, um, people woke up in China, Philippines, North Korea, places where Kobe is revered. I mean, China, basketball is the number one sport in the most populous country on Earth, and people were waking up to this particular news. So uh, Italy, as you probably saw, is going to have a week of mourning um, for a native son in many ways in Kobe Bryant. And I think the one thing that I took away is, if you remember his final season in the league, you know he scored 60 points in his final game, and everybody talks about that. Mm -hmm. But earlier that season, Laker fans, and I know Andrew Downs, is a big Laker fan, and maybe he's listening and remembers this. The Lakers are having a really rough season. And early part of the season, Kobe just actually kind of came out and said, you know, we're not making the playoffs. He he was injury-riddled toward the end of his career. The roster wasn't great. And one day early in the season, he just said, you know what, guys? I'm done. I'm going to retire at the end of the season. He just sort of said it. And it gave the opportunity for fans, half the fans in the league, if you're a fan of an Eastern Conference team, Kobe just said, listen, the Lakers are going to be coming here once a year, every year, but I'm only coming by one more time. So if you want to check out Kobe Bryant, and to your point, Trent, I mean, going to the old Chicago stadium to watch Michael Jordan before it was done, you just kind of knew when Michael was going to be finished. And Kobe said, listen, I'm going to be ending my career this year. So if you want to come see me one more time or come see me once, or maybe I'll sign something for you on the way out of the arena. Um, he just gave half the fans in the league the opportunity to do that. And I think for a lot of fans, they took advantage of that. And they'll always be able to say or tell anybody that they know generations from now that, you know, Hey, I saw Kobe Bryant play in person. Kobe Bryant did this for me. He took a photo with me. Um, and I think that was one of the unintended consequences of retiring early, but it allowed so many people that just want to watch greatness and witness greatness, just be a part of that.
2: Kobe Bryant passing at the age of 41 and certainly tragedy there. And, it's such an interesting time as this is happening and the world continues to revolve around it. There's going to be the outpouring of tonight, though it's not on ESPN, TNT, what they are doing, bringing Charles and Kenny and Shaq there, and of course Shaq, the third that I mentioned, but the most important because of his time playing with Kobe, bringing those guys to L.A., the first game back in Los Angeles after the passing. I mean, the environment, it's going to be just an incredible scene this evening in L.A.
0: Yeah, I, I do think that uh, the decision to uh, mend fences with Shaq was so important because, you know, I had Jay Williams on Sports Center on Sunday, and he was pretty impassioned. And, you know, obviously many of your listeners know that for Jay, his life changed in an instant. And he was just talking about how arbitrary in some cases life can be. And when you look at what's going on with the NBA in the last couple of weeks, to lose David Stern and then to lose Kobe Bryant. And with Bryant, at least, you know, Shaq was on social media on Sunday. He posted some photos of his good times with Kobe, but of course they were at odds for a long time. And just to know that, you know, prior to this horrible incident happening, that he had patched it all up with uh, Shaq, and they had bonded over a love of their kids. You know, uh, Shaq's son just transferred from UCLA, but, you know, Shaq's kids are involved in sports, and Kobe's kids are involved in sports. And and it's one of those things where you look at it and you just sort of say – to yourself if you can, that you mended fences. He was up and down with Phil Jackson. But at the end of the day, he was able to mend fences with Phil Jackson before all of this happened. And I know Phil put out a statement yesterday. So it's just one of those things where the timing in life is something that you never know. But for those amazing bonds and relationships that we knew as sports fans, we weren't on the inside with Kobe and Shaq and Phil and all that stuff and Derek Fisher. But we knew Kobe and Shaq finally hit it off at the end. And same thing for Phil. And I think when you look at um, Kobe, you know, he played with the mentality of, I'd rather be feared than liked. Because when Kobe was in the NBA, and I'm sure you know this, trend, he didn't have a lot of friends, yep. you know, Paul Gasol and Derek Fisher. But he was a win-it-all-cost guy. And in order to have that mama mentality and to sacrifice, he didn't have a lot of friends on the court. Now, when he retired, it certainly was different. All of that dissipated him. And you saw all the love shown to Kobe Bryant in all the games on Sunday from the kids like Trey Young and Luka Doncic that grew up watching uh, DeMar DeRozan an LA kid that grew up watching Kobe Bryant. So I do think there is something about his mentality that when he was playing, he wasn't the most beloved guy, but the respect and adulation that came after his career ended was amazing. And I think that's certainly something that should be remembered, taken into account. We had every single guest Trent tell us every single guest said, you know, Kobe works so hard, his work ethic, And at the end of the broadcast, when we were done on Sunday, I remember saying, Kobe will always be remembered for a legendary work ethic. Everybody, practically, that's come on the show today has said that. But sometimes you step back and say, did Kobe really have a great work ethic? Or was Kobe really just saying to himself, I don't know if I'm working hard. I just know I have this goal, and I have to do whatever I have to do, sacrifice-wise, to get it to be great. Now, that's his definition of great. Not like a normal person's definition of great his version of great. And I I don't know if he was technically working hard the way everybody else did, or if he just said, it's not working hard. It's not working easy. There just needs to be this level of commitment to get there. And I'm literally willing to do whatever it takes to get there. It's a different way to look at Kobe, but instead of saying he worked hard, I think he was just basically willing to say, tell me what I need to do. And I don't care what kind of onus or burden is there. I'll get it done. And that probably is that mama mentality that you've been hearing about here. I always thought that mama mentality was more of a a basketball thing, Trent. But I just realized it extended into his life uh, the way uh, that it did.
2: Last night, Zubin, as we move away from Kobe Bryant, we move into the Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl week. The game will be here on Sunday. And uh, the goofiness that is Monday's opening night for Super Bowl 54, wild in its own right. He had people dressed up as Andy Reid when he was a youngster in that punt, pass, and kick competition. He had all (laughs) kinds of craziness there. Have you ever been a part of that?
0: I have not, but I think this is actually something the league, you know, adopted a few years ago. This media night is definitely the way to do it. If I'm not mistaken, over the past years, and they've actually sold tickets to this thing. So if you're just like a spectator and can't come down to the game or you're living in Miami or the Miami Gardens area, for a small amount of money, you can actually buy a ticket to sit at media night. That doesn't seem like the most exciting thing in the world to do, but it's gotten to the point where so many people want to be so close to the NFL. in any way, shape, or or form that they're actually offering opportunities to go to media night where guys are just walking around and talking to guys like you and me. I don't think that's the most enthralling thing in the world, but people are all about it. And I certainly think it's a little better than they were doing before. And I think the NFL is trying to make everything a spectacle, whether it's you know, the drafts in Nashville, Chicago, Philly, Dallas, Las Vegas, or something as simple as media night, where I'm sure I'm guessing most of the players are pretty much happy to have this behind them, even though the media obligations don't actually cease. At least they can stop doing this. Um, but it just goes to show that everything the NFL is doing is working, and they're trying to do everything on a much bigger scale, including something as perfunctory as media night.
2: When you have two weeks... How how deep early on do you get into it when you're talking with your NFL guys, you have the people in there, you want to do a hit? I mean, how much X's and O's can you do early on compared as we get closer to the game?
0: I think you have to wait till the second week, even though the teams will of course tell you that their game plans are in and when they get to Miami, it's just business as usual. I think we take the complete opposite approach that the teams do. I think Mike Shanahan had said that he had told his son Kyle that when he had gone to the Super Bowl with the Broncos, they put in everything right away and they were ready to go and then just sort of managed everything down the stretch. But I think for us, it's different. I think this week, and I'm sure, you know, this has been a constant topic on your show mm-hmm. uh, for sure and all sports fans, but, you know, remind people who Raheem Mostert is and remind him the journey that he took. <clears throat> remind people about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs trading up for him. Remind people about the fact that the Niners traded for Jimmy Garoppolo when they were 0-8, he went 5-0 and 0 out of the gate. His injury history, combining Montana, Young, Garoppolo, all the storylines people know about. Even a guy on the Chiefs, I was working with our John Fox, the uh, former Super Bowl coach of the Broncos and the Panthers, and he had mentioned to me he thought the most important player on the Chiefs defense was Chris Jones. You could pick Frank Clark, you could pick Honey Badger, you could pick a bunch of other players. But he said, no, I think Chris Jones is the most important guy. All right, let's talk to our uh, viewers about Chris Jones. He went to Mississippi State. What do you need to know about him? And I think those are the sort of surface-level topics you want to address in week one. And then, sure, you want to get down to week two. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about stopping Tyreek Hill. Or if it's a 10-point lead for the Chiefs in the fourth quarter, Kim Garoppolo rally? Those sorts of hypothetical situations, I think, are something you're going to start to see obviously, as the week goes on. But, yeah, we took week one of this whole situation and just sort of said, what are the biggest stories that our casual viewers may not be aware of? And let's accentuate those points. And the closer we get to game time, let's dig into the numbers. That's kind of been our approach.
2: Good stuff. Hey, Zubin, I'll let you get back to lunch and enjoy your time away back at it. When's the next time we're going to see you on ESPN? We'll be back tomorrow, uh, late night and throughout the week. And uh, we'll be getting ready for to get hardcore into
0: college basketball as soon as the Super Bowl ends. I know that's your favorite sport, so mm-hmm. we'll be ready to go uh, with that starting full bore next week.
2: And Rutgers hangs on in the rankings even after taking a loss in Carver.
0: Hey, let me give you one quick little stat. This will go to show you. I know over the years, the attendance at Carver has not been great. Hills' mm-hmm. policy has it's always been amazing. But just think about this for a second. Rutgers plays in an old place called the Rutgers Athletic Center. It's called the Rackets, an old building. It's not that big. It's like 8,000 people, which is you know a little over 50% of what Carver-Hawkeye arena is. Um, but tonight, they're playing Purdue. And tonight, friends, listen to this. This may be, I don't know if this is a sad commentary or this is excitement. For the first time in the history of the building, they've sold out five straight games. Wow! So I know when you grew up watching AC Earl and DJ, the Mm -hmm. place is packed every night. Luke and Reggie and Hilton Coliseum have been packed to the gills for a long, long time, as you know. But tonight, for this program that has been in four different conferences since the last time they made the NCAA tournament, tonight's sellout against Purdue will be the first time they've ever had five in a row, and it is not a big arena.
2: That is awesome to hear. Good and uh Well, the Rutgers' addition to the Big Ten, football's a different conversation. We'll see about Chiano, but at least for basketball right now, things are looking okay.
0: Indeed. So far, so good, but there's
2: plenty of time for it to (laughs) collapse. No doubt. We'll talk again next week. Thank you so much, Zubin. Take care, Trent. Thanks. Zubin Mahente from ESPN. He was part of the coverage on Sunday of Kobe Bryant and his passing. Did a great job of it, no surprise, and he'll be back at it on ESPN tomorrow night. We'll take a timeout. Coming back, put a cap on things. i got a couple of hits to figure things out. A couple of uh, games that I am taking a look on. Now, depending on where you got the number yesterday, it came right down to the wire for Iowa-Wisconsin. was at 5.5 during our show. It went off at 6.5, and, and those points at the end, they became ultra-important. That is the love or the hate. Of betting college basketball, I got a couple of picks coming up on the other side. Taking you up until noon, it's Miller and Condon on fourteen sixty KXNO, and now 10.
1: Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on fourteen sixty KXNO,
0: and now on one hundred six point three FM.
2: segment on a Tuesday. Trent and back solo one final time. Ken will be back in his chair across the ring coming up tomorrow as we kick things off at 10 a.m. We got Murph and Andy coming your way today at 2 o'clock followed by the Sports Fanatics at 4 o'clock and tomorrow morning we'll go again local starting at 6 a.m. with Sean, Travis, and Heather. The Morning Rush from 6 until 8 here on 1460 KXNO and now on 106.3 F M told you got a couple of bets here for tonight. Let's hope we can get back on the positive side of things. It's been an up and down uneven week overall. You can follow along with my bets. All of them that I make over at the action network, just search Trent You can find them over there. Not a paid endorsement, anything like that, but if you want to follow along, see how I'm doing and fade me, which is probably the best thing to do. You can find it over there. I do got five point uh, picks. I really like tonight. Overall, Two of them uh, middling. Pitt getting 16 and a half at Duke. I played this one a week ago as Miami went in there. They were getting like 19, and Duke won by about 30. So not as confident, but I do like that number. That Pitt team certainly better than Miami. Some good young guards on that squad. We'll see if they can keep it close against the Dukey. 16 and a half there. How about this? Georgetown, they're hosting Butler tonight. It is a 9 o'clock Eastern tip-off television, certainly dictating that. Georgetown... Has been okay this year. Mac McClung's a lot of fun to watch, but overall, certainly not as good as Butler. Still just a single point at home is all you got to lay with the Hoyas, and I'm gonna do that with Georgetown. But my two favorites both come in the Big Ten. The first of them, a game that Zubin and I just talked about, ESPN Zubin Mahente. It is Rutgers at home for Purdue. The Scarlet Knights, a three-point favorite in this one. They've been incredibly good at home. Purdue, on the other hand, has been incredibly bad on the road. And you just have to lay three points. I feel good about that one. I will lay the three with the Scarlet Knights. And my final pick of the night, also in the Big Ten, it's in our neighbors to the west. Lincoln, Nebraska are getting five and a half against Michigan. Xavier Simpson suspended. The Wolverines continue to go the wrong way. Infighting happening. What's happening with the Wolverines? Hard to wrap your mind around it. I'm going to grab Nebraska in those five and a half at home. That does it for today. Thanks to all our great guests for joining us. You can find them all at the podcast page. The Herd is up next, followed
0: by